We're going to be in Psalm 57 today, 1 through 11, and we did this for the first time last year. Uh, Andre and I are going to tag team preach this psalm. I'm going to cover the first six verses and then tag off and uh, and have him come up here and finish the last uh, remaining verses, 7 through 11. Well, why don't we uh, ask the Lord's blessing on our time in his word this morning. Lord, we are so grateful to have your word open, available, accessible, but even more so, Lord, that we have your spirit in us so that as we study and and as we read, we see glory and we love what we see. Oh God, that is a supernatural accomplishment of your power in our lives today. We thank you for the potential of this time now before us and we pray that in power you would come. And that you would stir in our hearts deep and abiding gratitude as we consider all the ways that you work. I pray even today that we would learn from the example of David in his trials. That we would have this kind of faith and take our cue from how you met and encouraged and strengthened your servant David. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message that we're working on together, Singing in the Shadow of His Wings. The title of a psalm is significant, and not all of them have these, but this one has a title, and and that's inspired, and it's been handed down and preserved for us as well. So the title is, To the Choir Master, According to Do Not Destroy, which must have been some type of a musical piece, and then it says, A a Mictum, of David, and what's really funny about this is no one really knows what that means. Uh, to this day, we really don't know what that is, but maybe a poem of some sort. Um, he he wrote this to be a song, and uh, it's it's set to a, a music, and it's written then and, and sent to the choir master to then lead the people in singing of this praise. And now the context is is when he fled from Saul in the cave. It's probably the cave of Adullam that he fled to after he thought that he could find shelter with the Philistines, okay? So 1 Samuel 20, chapter 20 through 22-ish, right in there. Uh, David, in actually Psalm 56, describes uh, a psalm that he wrote uh, kind of coming out of that horrible decision. He thought, boy, I'm going to go and hide in the very place where I slew the giant, right? The Philistines knew, and and someone is like, isn't this David, the guy that killed Goliath? And the only way he got out of there, by God's grace, is to pretend that he was insane. You remember this? He let the spit run down his beard, and he be- began scribbling on the, the gates. And uh, they were like, oh, just get this madman out of here. We've got plenty of madmen around. And God spared him from that horrible decision, really a lack of faith, that he would think that, that he could hide in the Philistines from Saul, who was pursuing him. Remember now Saul uh, is the king, the first king, uh, but David's been anointed to be king, and Saul is enraged about this, and he doesn't want to give up his, his reign and rule, and so repeatedly he goes after David to try to kill him. He is on the hunt. He has 3,000 chosen men to hunt down David as he flees, and he is now hiding in this cave and that is where the, he, he pins these words for us, okay? And some of what he says, you, you pick up in these verses. Let me just read these. 
the verse 4, for example, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. An amazing thing is he gives kind of some perspective on the situation that he's in. Things are dire. His heart is heavy. The circumstances are very real. And yet, amidst all of this, there are three things that I want to observe that David does in this psalm. And then I'm going to let Andre come and just wrap it up for us in the last remaining verses. Three observations. The first is this. David shows, in the midst of these circumstances, he shows a humble dependence upon the Lord. A humble, key word, humble dependence upon the Lord. I see this in verse 1. Look at how he says this. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. Now, what's interesting about this is it's a request. It's a request. He, he is not making a demand. He, he's not saying, Lord, listen, I, uh, uh, I've been anointed here. What's going on? This isn't adding up. I'm, I know I'm supposed to be the next king. He's treating me in a way that doesn't really fit with the way I think I should be treated. So he's not, he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. He's not shaking his fist at the heavens at this point. He's saying, Lord, please show me mercy. Send your grace. I need your help. And then he says this, my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. What does that call to mind for us? This is a phrase repeated many times in scripture. It's the, the, the idea is a mother hen coming and sheltering her young. Her young being little chicks, right? Cute little guys. Now, let me show you a picture of this, okay? This is how David conceives of himself. I'm just a little chicken. I'm just a little chick. And I am taking shelter in the shadow of your wings. This is the man of whom it was said, hey, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. The man who slew the Philistine giant. This is the man who dealt with lions. He says, I'm like a little chick. And I'm coming under the shadow of your wings. And, I, and I, my soul is taking refuge there. Lord, come to me like a mother hen and, and, and shelter me. My soul needs you. This is not a man just walking around in self-confidence. Listen, this is how it's going to go. First, we're going to do. No, he says, I need the Lord. It is a humble display of dependence. So a point of application, or at least a way to land this in our lives, is to observe this. God will graciously place us in situations that reveal our weakness in order to remind us of our desperate need for Him. I've been in ministry for a while now, and I've seen this over and over and over. Some of you are saying, yeah, that was this last year. That's kind of what it was like. I came to the end of myself 
and I found more of God. God will graciously, he, he will, in his grace, in his mercy, in his goodness, he will bring us into situations that bring us to our knees to remind us how much we need him. King David displays an incredible, incredible humility in this. Let's go on. Observation number two is this. David shows a confident trust in the absolute sovereignty of God. A confident trust in the absolute sovereignty of God. Listen to these verses. Verse 2, I cry out to God most high, the most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. And then he says, just think on that, soul. Pause and ponder that, soul. Selah, musical interlude, right? Maybe a little electric guitar. It's just reflective, right? We're thinking about the truth. And then he says this, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Notice how many wills are in these verses. This is a certain confidence, a settled trust in a sovereign God. I've been anointed. I'm going to be king. He is the God who keeps his promises. And so I know he's going to save me. I know he's going to come. And I can rest in that. He is a sovereign God. He is not surprised by these circumstances. He's not taken off guard. This is not plan B. This is his plan. And he cries out. His prayer goes to this God, a God of absolute sovereignty who is always in control. So I would say this, for us, the sovereignty of God then shown to be an impenetrable stronghold for those who look to him in faith. Many of you here can give testimony at these microphones to exactly that over this past year. How has the sovereign Almighty God met you in your circumstance and shored you up, planted your feet on the rock, and brought you through. You have an opportunity here in a few minutes to share. My last observation is this. David is so captivated by the glory and majesty of God that his circumstances serve to sweeten his worship. His circumstances could be the focus of his heart of his soul. It could just shrivel his soul, but instead of allowing that to take place, he sees his circumstance, and he sees the majesty of God, and it just makes it sweeter. This is a really big problem, but Lord, you're even bigger than that. And so he says these words, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now, a little more context for us here. When he's in the cave of Agilom, it says about 400 people flock to him. They, they come to him. He's all by himself, and then all of a sudden his brothers and his family hears. And, and then it says this, um, all those who were despairing, uh, all those who were in debt, and all those who were disgruntled, he is like a magnet for all the people who are angry, unsettled, despairing, in debt, and disgruntled. And they all rally to him. And so they come around. Now, 400 of them. Imagine if that is the makeup, the descriptor of all the people who come around David. What would he be tempted to do? 
join the crowd, right? Do exactly what they're doing. Woe is me. It's so bad. Saul is just a terrible guy. What are we going to do, right? It's, it's just awful. Instead of that, David changes their focus, and he calls them to worship. He calls them to focus not on the situation and to be despairing or uh, in doubt, but to place their faith in the Lord and to worship him, to exalt the Lord, not only over the 400 there that were gathered with him, but he says, Lord, let your glory be over all the earth, all the earth. It's really a, a prayer that people would see him for who he is and recognize his majesty and his greatness. God sometimes places us in the furnace of affliction to purify and amplify our joy and satisfaction in him. God does that. And here's the amazing thing. He will call us to worship him in the midst of these circumstances. And as we do, guess what? We get more of him. That's the best thing he can give us, is more of him. As we draw our attention to him, and our, our worship is purified and refined, away from the idols, away from the fear, to the one who is exalted above all we find a greater joy and satisfaction in him. So Andre, brother, come bring it home, man. It's a huge uh, privilege and blessing to be here with you guys today. I want to pick right up where Pastor Jeremy left off here in this psalm uh, on this idea of worship. And I want to give us three practical applications in the midst of our difficulties as we sit in the difficulties uh, similar to David, maybe not exactly like David, but... We feel this way very often. And this idea of worship that Pastor Jeremy just finished off, that, that, that this is really what we all long after, this condition, this, this, this state where we are exalting in God. And today's, uh, I think, whole church service is just such an amazing, empowering experience and reminder of that. Usually on Sundays, we have a worship team. Today, we have a worship army, it feels like. I, I just came out here, just, it's just, they're ready to go, ready to fight ready to fight against the, the sin, the doubt that troubles our hearts. And so three, op, three basic observations as we keep moving through the psalm. Verse 7, look what he says. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. And the first thing we see here as, as we ask the question, so uh, when we look at David and his, and his state of worship, how can I be this way? How can I be this kind of person who is able to, in the midst of such terrible difficulties and surrounded by people who are so negative in such difficult places, how can I be a person who is free to worship? The heart of this state, at the center of all, we see that our worship flows from a heart that is at peace. A heart that is at peace. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. And really, when we look at difficulties, um, when we look at the trials that, that we face in our lives, when, we, when our child is sick and we are just troubled by that, or we have a, a family member, a loved one going through something difficult in our lives, or something at work, uh, something changing, and something in our budget plans, and, and, and a father worries about how is he going to provide, all the various life issues that come our way. The really difficult thing about these things is, that, is the impact that they have on our heart, Right? There's a different psalm in Psalm 22 where David describes that exact state where he says the opposite of this. He says, my heart melts like wax. 
That's really what happens when we are in the midst of such difficulties. We, we are restless inside. We cannot find peace. And even sometimes the situation is resolved, but the restlessness and the fear is still hovering inside of us, and we can't find peace. David, says, David shows us that the very essence of a, a worshiping heart is a heart that is rooted in God, a heart that is at peace. And when we look around at the world today, when we look, when we consider Thanksgiving, why Thanksgiving may be not the most popular thing, because, because a lot of people are not in a state of Thanksgiving. They cannot, they cannot just flow and go, uh, just explode with Thanksgiving and joy because we live in a culture that is restless. We live in a world that is restless on the inside. And people seek the answer. People seek to settle down. People seek that peace that comes on the inside. And when we have that peace, even when the difficulties around us are still not done, when, when, when the storm still rages, as David's storm still was raging, we have the ability to worship. And this is really the amazing thing about God, about the God of Scripture, that he is not just a sovereign God. He is not just a wise God. When David is looking at God and, and, and how David is getting this state of peace, when David is looking at God, he sees a God who is not only all-powerful and all-wise and, and governs the whole universe, but he sees a God who sa- he says, he will open up the skies and he will come to my rescue. His steadfast love endures forever. If it wasn't for his love for me personally, specifically, this little person, David, if it wasn't for his love for me, his glory, his majesty, his power would be the thing that I have to fear. But because God is loving and merciful and gracious, because God is willing to break the skies and come to our rescue, David says, my heart is steadfast. Even though Saul is still king, even though Saul still wants to kill me, my heart is steadfast. The only way to have peace in this broken world is to be rooted in our hearts in the reality of who God is. An ability to see, to look at God, to see the saving and loving nature of our God, and to make that our foundation. Because we are little people. We are little people in a big and broken world. The only thing that can give us peace is, as, is if we are rooted in someone who is even bigger than the world itself. And the amazing thing about our God is that he wants to be that. He wants to be that. And that's the ironic thing. As, as I'm, I'm reflecting on this psalm, it's like, who is David, you know? A, a little shepherd boy from a small town. And, and he calls out to the God of the universe, and he says, come to my rescue, please. Why should God answer? There is no reason why God should answer. And yet our God answers, because this is what he des- delights in. This is what he desires. He desires not to just to... Uh, send the lightning out, and to control the galaxies. He desires to win our hearts, our trust, and he loves us. So the the heart of worship is in a heart that is rooted in the reality of God. And the second thing we see, the result of that heart at peace is verse 8. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. These these words are amazing because they're just explosive in the emotion that he is experiencing. The love and the joy and the peace that that 
fills David's heart is inevitably a love that overflows into the world around. Our worship that starts in a heart that is rooted inevitably overflows into the world. It is disruptive to the world. It, it, it banishes the darkness. I love the words here. He says, he says, he says awake, O dawn. It's like he wants to get up an hour before dawn, and he wants to banish the darkness because he wants to invite the light because the light is shining in his heart, and he wants this light to be spread to the whole world. It's impossible to contain the joy when the peace fills our hearts. Now, I think oftentimes uh, in our modern, maybe uh, American evangelical world, we kind of have it backwards sometimes. Sometimes we have this unrest, and we are so upset, and we're so troubled by the things in our lives we're worried about what's going on at work or in our family or our children or our friends or we're thinking, as if you're a young person in college, think about future career plans or marriage plans. We're so restless and we come to church and we think, well, I'm just going to come to church and I'm just going to sit in the front row and I'm going to sing my heart out and kind of try to push away the restlessness and the fear. David says it goes the other way around. David says you can't, it doesn't, you can't sing loud enough to banish your fear in the inside. If your heart is not resting in the Savior, it doesn't matter how loud you sing, it's still not going to work to change what's going on on the inside. But if we are rooted in God, if we are confident in him, if we look at God and we see the God that he is, the saving, loving, mighty, powerful God that he is, and that fills our hearts, that captivates our vision, we explode with a worship that disrupts the world around us. And we don't have to crank ourselves up on just on Sundays. We go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Our life is exploding with joy and worship because the peace that, that surpasses understanding fills our hearts. So it is a disruptive worship. It goes out to the world. If I am having trouble witnessing to a, a neighbor or, or a friend or a coworker, if I'm having trouble bringing my faith out into life, and I'm wondering, what do I need? Do I just need some boldness? Do I need to learn to conquer my fears? How do I get through this? How do I become this bold and, and joyful Christian? You, you can't crank it up. We can't artificially manufacture it. What happens is we have to find our rest in God. And when that is there, when that peace fills our heart, it flows out. It's unstoppable. And so the third point, bringing it home, as Spurgeon says, make a beeline to the gospel, to the cross at the end of every sermon. True peace is found in Jesus. So, we ask ourselves, is your heart steadfast today? Is your heart steadfast? Is your heart rooted in the God who saves? Do you feel like, like that plant that is deeply rooted into that rock and you will never go anywhere, doesn't matter how, how hard the wind blows? Is God the ultimate reality that governs my life? Now, we may have some objections here. We may say, yeah, but I'm not David. I mean... David, yeah, he had some really hard times, but he also saw the glory of God in such amazing ways. The angel of God comes down to the camp of Saul and puts them all to sleep in a magical sleep state, and he can creep into the camp and cut off a piece of Saul's cape. He, David has seen Goliath fall. David has seen God come and intervene in such amazing ways. I'm just a little person here in Ferndale. I haven't seen God break the skies. How do I know that God's going to come through in my fear as I'm worrying about my family or my situation at work or my conflicts inside my heart. I've never seen miracles like David has. Of course he has reason to hope and have faith. God's never broken the skies and come into my life and saved me in a miraculous way out of 
a terrible difficulty. But has he? I think, I think that actually we overlook the most amazing deliverance that has ever happened in all the history of humanity very easily. God has actually literally broken the skies and come down into this world, literally, to redeem us from our sins, even when we did not know him, even when we hated him, even when we tried living our lives in a universe that belongs to him, pretending that he doesn't exist. In Jesus, he has come down. David sings poetically about God breaking the skies, but we know that a, a few hundred years later, God literally did that. And in Jesus, God worked a deliverance that David could never have even imagined. He worked the deliverance that David has always looked forward to. There is no difficulty in life that we can face that are greater than the ultimate difficulty, the, the difficulty of standing before a holy, mighty God as a sinner and having to answer for the fact that you have rebelled against the holy God. We will never have to endure that difficulty because he came and he did it in our place. He stood in the ultimate storm so that then later he could open his wings and take that. You know, for the, for the, for the mother hen to open her wings and take the chick underneath, the assumption there is the mother hen is sitting there taking the beating of the storm. And that is literally what Jesus has done for us. So, are we steadfast? Do we look at the cross and do we realize that God has come to the ultimate rescue? That there is nothing, nothing in this world that we will ever face that's going to come close to the fact that Christ has taken the ultimate suffering in our place. In Jesus, we have a greater deliverance than anything David ever saw. More magical than a spell that puts an entire army to sleep. Is our heart steadfast in him? And do we explode with worship? Do we learn in the midst of our difficulties to look at the cross and to realize that no matter how bad the storm, I am hidden in Christ. And if my life is hid with Christ and God, then I will appear in glory with him when he appears. And it doesn't matter what happens in this world. And I can endure with faith all the difficulties that happen because he is my savior. There's nothing that can put a dent in the fact that I am his child. Just like David knew that there's nothing that could put a dent in the fact that he was anointed to the king. God's plan was set. It was unstoppable. And we are his children today. We come before him. And, and let's, let's, let's open our hearts. Let's look at the cross. Let's look at the Savior. Let's exalt him for all that he's done for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a God. Lord, who are we? Who are we little people that you break the skies and come to our rescue? Who are we, small town Ferndale folk, to depend upon the, the sovereign and mighty and wonderful and glorious Savior of the universe? Lord, we thank you that you are not just a God who is sovereign and mighty and glorious over all the big powers of the universe, but you are a God who is concerned with the condition of our hearts. That you came into this world to endure the ultimate storm for us and to shelter us in the shadow of your wings, Lord. We thank you for Jesus who took the beating for us. We, t we thank you for Jesus who took our sin upon himself, Lord. We thank you for the cross and the gospel that every day we can come and we can see the reality of your love for us. 
that in the midst of every difficulty, Lord, we can come to you and we can see the cross and we can be overcome with how much you love us. That we are not in this world set to fight our own battles, Lord, that we know that we have a Savior who lives and who stands for us. Lord, help us to be rooted in that today. Help us to be rooted in that every day of the week in this whole season and in the years to come. Lord, help us to learn to be your children, hiding in the shadow of your wings and worshiping in a disruptive way in this dark world. Help us to be this light for your glory, Lord. Amen.